A few years back, I spent a day interviewing a hermit of sorts who had lived for decades off-grid and without water or electricity in an unbelievably remote spot in northeastern Nevada. For someone ostensibly committed to not interacting with others, I was struck by how welcoming, friendly, and eager to talk he was, an extreme version of stereotypical rural hospitality. But interspersed in our hours of conversation were glimpses of suspicion of the outside world and extreme prejudice against outsiders or anyone different. It was a paradox I've since struggled to understand. Welcome to Writing Westward. I'm your host, Brennan Rensing. And today I talk with Navid Mahdavian, a cartoonist and author of the graphic novel memoir, This Country, Searching for Home in Very Rural America. His experience as an Iranian-American moving to rural Idaho brought clarity to the paradox of the Nevada hermit, the contradictory multitudes we all contain, and some of the conflicting best and worst attributes sometimes associated with Westerners. Thanks for listening. For new listeners, allow me to take a moment to explain a bit about writing Westward and myself. Each episode features a conversation with people writing about the North American West, historians, journalists, novelists, poets, scientists, sociologists, and others. By showcasing their work, I hope to spark your curiosity to think more deeply about the region, its lands and environments, and the histories and experiences of the peoples who call it home. If a writer or topic intrigues you, you can find links to their work in the show notes or at writingwestward.org. And if you have a moment, please do subscribe, share links with friends, leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using to listen, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and send in some feedback. Writing Westward is supported by the Charles Red Center for Western Studies at Brigham Young University, where I, Brendan Rensink, serve as Associate Director and an Associate Professor of History. For better or worse, this is a one-man operation with me playing role of host, producer, sound engineer, publicist, and everything else, all tasks for which I have no training. But I am passionate about the North American West, so this difficult work is well worth the excuse to read more books and talk to interesting people. At the end of each episode, I'll include a little bit more information about me and my scholarship and about the Red Center, our public programming and projects, and funding opportunities that you could apply for. With that, let me introduce a little bit more about today's guest and why we're talking to them. Navid Mahdavian is a cartoonist and writer whose work has appeared in The New Yorker since 2018. You may have also seen his work in Reader's Digest, Wired, and elsewhere. He currently lives in Salt Lake City with his wife and daughter, but he arrived via Miami, San Francisco, and very rural Idaho. His graphic novel, This Country, Searching for Home in Very Rural America, was published in 2023 by Princeton Architectural Press. This book illustrates, literally, his experience moving from the urban Bay Area to Idaho. It explores how his identity as an Iranian-American complicated his experience there, and what it taught him about both rural and Western identities. It is funny, occasionally profane, warning, and deeply moving. For those who feel that they belong in the West, or wherever they live for that matter, Mahdavian's work is an excellent reminder that not all feel so. Thankfully, we hold, both collectively and individually, significant power to change that, to make all feel welcome, especially those who don't look, sound, or share background with majority populations. We indeed can help others find home and belonging, just as we have. 
David Mahjavian, welcome to Writing Westward. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about your book. I've been wanting to do some kind of uh, graphic novel of some sort, and I've been waiting for one to kind of pop up. And when yours came across my desk, I was just really excited. I was like, no, this is the one. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gra- graphic memoir about the West. Yeah, there's uh, not many. It's a, it's a small yeah. category. <laughs> um, well, I think I'd like to spend most of our conversation today kind of hearing about your experience with the quote unquote West, um, be it urban or suburban or rural or extra rural. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know what the stage beyond normal rural is. Um, that's kind of where it seems that you were. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think, I think in the title, I think in the title, it's parentheses, very, very rural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, but also, I want to kind of hear about your thoughts about kind of Western identity and Western mm-hmm. culture, and um, there's a lot of really fascinating kind of moments in your book that will be really great entry points to that. Um, but first, we kind of need to get to know about uh, get to know a little bit about you because you it's a memoir, so you're a big part of this. Um, your parents emigrated from Iran in 1978. Um, mm-hmm. You grew up in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, where you grew up, where your up- upbringing was? Yeah, grew up in um, the Big 305 Miami, Florida, uh, which is not as glamorous as Will Smith made it sound in his in his song. Um, just the suburbs. And uh, went to University of Miami there after high school and then moved to the West Coast. So the West, but not the West. Um, lived in LA and then the San Francisco Bay Area for about seven years. Uh, where I was a went to grad school, was a teacher, fifth grade teacher for a number of years, and then decided I wanted to become a cartoonist, and that's what precipitated the move to Idaho. Um, so growing up in Miami, uh, what was your awareness of the West? Did it speak to you culturally? Was it just a caricature from? you know, movies and video games. How, how did you think about it? Let's say like, especially like then as you eventually were thinking of, you know, you moved out to California. What was your relationship with the region? Yeah, I think a caricature. Um, interestingly enough, when my parents first moved to the United States, they moved to Oklahoma. And um, I remember, and I mentioned this in the book, my, my, you know, my dad buys a cowboy hat in order to fit in. And my mom was like I I feel like I'm in a movie. There are the, the the cowboy hats and the 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 ranchers, and she just always said how surreal it felt. Um, this to, is still to water, be on right? What felt like this? Yeah, this is still water. Um, and so, growing up in Miami, I think my conception of the West was probably like a lot of people on the coast's conception of it. I mean, really he- heavily formed by movies and books and um which was one of the you know the pleasant surprises when i first visited um mackie the town it's unnamed in the book uh but when we first visited there on a whim you know the rodeo was going on and so it really did feel like uh an introduction to the west that matched up with what my perception of the west was and obviously living there for three years it wasn't always a rodeo um, but that, that's just yeah, funny I mean, that like that was going on yeah, during your, yeah, your first they're, they're, moments there. It's like, wow, it really is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but 
I yeah, I mean, I think I, I I imagine that's what many people's conception of the West is like when you're living on on the coast. Well, I think even for a lot of people living in the West, um, yeah, so much of Western identity is really wrapped up kind of in that popular culture. Um, yeah. So did you fit in at the rodeo? Um, surprisingly, no. Uh, I had I had made the 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 poor decision before um, traveling when I was packing. I packed up all the clothing that I hadn't already uh, laundered, and it's the things that's at the bottom of the drawer that uh, you hope you never make it to in the laundry cycle. Um, but threw those into the into the luggage. When I when we're standing at the rodeo, you have all of your cowboys with their cowboy hats on and their giant rodeo buckles and their e- e- big working dogs. And I had my dog Stanley, who's a Chihuahua Jack Russell mix. And um, my my clothing, I had the you know American Apparel Deep V t-shirts that I hadn't worn in a couple of years and these skinny jeans. And I clearly, you know, I did not um, fit in and match, you know, the, the, the sort of archetypal Western cowboy, this conception of masculinity. Um, and over the course of the the three years that I was there, um, there I, I did find that there was this constant negotiation. I mean, it wasn't always. I got to know the cowboys and so um, got to, to see behind that sort of veneer of masculinity and get to know the, the, the people behind it. But there was this negotiation between um, that idea of, of, of masculinity Um and maybe less v- less v-neck tees and skinny less, jeans less less, less v-neck yeah. although i do remember there were there, there was this one time i was on six acres had no neighbors for the first year so it really was just like hundreds of acres and so uh i was never expecting somebody to come to my door and i remember i was there by myself and there was a knock on the door so i'm surprised open it up and i realize i'm on no no there was a knock on the door and i was on the the swing outside the the porch reading somebody knocks on the door and i poke my head around the corner and it is this cowboy who was looking for my neighbor and i realize i'm in this like oversized onesie um so it's like this like patterned mint green onesie that has like the you know the the flap in the back and has the the big hood and i'm there with my book and i'm like no you want like the house that's two miles down um but it was i can't imagine a, a greater contrast between he just saw um, like an alien. He's like, "What is exactly. what is going on?" <laughs> he was like, "I don't think this is the house I'm looking for." Oh, uh, I went to a very small rural Idaho rodeo once uh, with my in laws, and I I had my wife had got me this T shirt, and printed on the T shirt was um, like pearly snap buttons and kind of like the little rose motif on the shoulders that looks like an old like classic Western. Yeah, a button-up shirt, but it was just a t-shirt, like screen printed on, and so I wore that. And some people got the joke and thought it was hilarious, and then some people just gave me a lot of side eye. Yeah, like, are you are you making fun of us? And I wasn't. Like, I actually have quite a few like pearly snap western shirts. You know, they're kind of like retro and hip now, but yeah, um, <laughs> that's funny. So, um, so you end so when you go to LA and San Francisco, do your did you think about that at the time as like, oh, I've moved to the West, or was the coast just something fully different uh for you in your mind? I I I don't remember what I thought at the time, but in retrospect, um, I mean it really is. I mean, it's coast to coast. And I feel uh 
in retrospect, that there was this sort of seamless transition because there was that jarring um, culture shock when I moved to the quote unquote West. It's kind of like growing up in Miami when you say you're going, when you go North, you're going to the South. And so being on the West Coast, when you're moving East, you're going to the West. Um, And I am an Iranian American and, and I address in the book some of the 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 cultural gaps and the um things that you might expect from that sort of like quote unquote east meet east meets west. But I do think that it was the big city versus small town uh culture gap that played out more often uh than the Middle Eastern versus, you know, white American. Um, where there was this, I think, constant suspicion of, you know, the Californication of of Idaho, of big city people moving in. Um, and I'm sure we can talk about this more uh, in, in further on in the, the interview. But um, and I think some of those the, those fears were real and, you know, founded if, you know, most of the community were ranchers. And so I um, understand when you have like thousands of acres real estate prices going up is devastating to uh to your business and then other times where it just didn't feel very political and that sort of culture worry thing where it just made it, it felt less uh sort of like economics and more we don't like your type here mm-hmm. yeah I, mean, I grew up in northwest washington and there was constant talk about oh the Californians are all moving up here yeah. and, you know and the, th- recently on a, a local history Facebook page there's just been like all the comments are about like oh these Californians yeah there's um and I think a lot of that though is I mean I interestingly the West per capita is the most urban and suburban region of the United States we think of it as a rural because there are there is so much yeah. wide open rural spaces but in terms of where the population have to, actually lives, we're more suburban and urban than other regions. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Some, of, some of Westerners' identity is still really rooted to that rural world. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, it, it, it so it kind of it plays out in weird ways, I think. But I do think you're right. A lot of the tension often maybe talked about as, oh, these outsiders coming to the West or whatever. But I think a lot of times it is more urban, rural. That's the tension. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, Christopher Haight. Chris, I don't know if you're familiar with Christopher hate i think that's how you say his name um he has uh, a couple of books that i read and i remember him uh in one of them talking about how i forget what the the study was and this is how all great anecdotes start like somebody said this one thing i don't remember what the study was uh but he he talks about how um people in cities even internationally so like shanghai to la to paris have more in common than people in urban mm-hmm. cities due to rural uh, communities in their own country, and I, I and I mentioned before the interview started that I've been doing some traveling, and I definitely feel like there is this seamless, this ease of transition when I'm moving from, you know, even like Salt Lake to to London, um, to Paris, than I do when moving from Salt Lake or San Francisco into more rural. Yeah, especially like in, the, in the rhythms of kind of everyday life. You know, oh, yeah. in the city, you can just run to the corner store to grab whatever you need. Living in a remote cabin in Idaho, like you have to plan out your daily, weekly, monthly yeah. life uh, quite differently. And and your book, like, yeah. really, in very many humorous ways, kind of uh, kind of highlights maybe um, how unprepared or 
Um, <laughs> uh, a little na- naive, you guys may have been, right? Like showing <laughs> yeah. up and your your truck won't start because it's too cold, so you can't get into yeah. town to get food. You didn't have wood to chop to like you know warm the home. All all kinds of. Uh, yeah, yeah. I did, I did yeah. not know it could get to negative thirty seven degrees, but it it did, and it stayed. Yeah. Um, so what led you guys, um, you said that you had traveled, you'd been to kind of a rodeo there in the area. Um, had you traveled much around other places in the rural West or what was it that led you to then decide, hey, we're going to buy this acreage and build a cabin here? Good question. Um, summer before we had uh, been planning a trip. I was on Airbnb, scrolled over Idaho uh randomly neither of us had been to that part of the the country and so i found a very cute airbnb and went there and we went there for a week and immediately i mean like fell in love with the the town and the mountains um and the people that we we met and uh when we started looking up real estate in the area i mean it was much more affordable than some you know we we could not hope to afford something in the Bay Area. And we weren't those California folk who were moving in with all of their money. Um, like I I was a teacher, Emily, my my wife was a, a you know, a, a doctoral doctoral student. So like I had to like empty out my uh retirement plan from uh teaching in order to be able to purchase the land and we built a very small, tiny house that was off the grid. Um but initially it felt like a place that we could go to to escape in the summers. Um, but I was burnt out on teaching and we realized that we had this place that we could go to where we would have no overhead. She wanted to become a doc, a documentary filmmaker. I wanted to pursue being a cartoonist and it just felt like the right time. Um, and as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways we were very prepared. Um, Emily is, you know, she's great with her spreadsheets. She designed the house, knew the ins and outs of, uh, off the grid, living but i feel like there's only so much you can know before you go in uh particularly like you can get like the meta level but then when you get to the day-to-day like what you described as the rhythm i feel like that's something that you can only really know once you're you are there and i and i describe it in the book as the land operating on the body um and almost immediately once you're you're there you're you it's 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 transformative right i mean you embody it and um and that's only something you know for good or bad that we could get once we were sort of boots on the ground uh cowboy boots on the ground there <laughs> what expectations did you have for the culture that you were going to encounter um i mean it might be described as naive uh, we're both fans of Northern Exposure, which I don't know if you've, you've, <laughs> yeah. you or your, you know, listeners have. Yeah. So it's for the people who haven't listened, you know, Jewish doctor uh, has to go to Alaska to pay off his loans. And so it's classic fish out of water. Um, and I think that in my mind, moving there was going to be like that, where we would have this would be like meet all these kooky characters, all, you know, get up into these antics, have these, you know, transformative and moving experiences, find ourselves and. Um, and in some ways, I think that that we did realize that um, over the course of the three years that we were there. Um, but we moved in November 2016, right after, you know, Trump's election. And so there was some trepidation uh, 
in that move, but I did, I, I, I think I did feel that that six acres that we would own worse came to worse. Like it would be this buffer where we would have our home. We could pursue what we wanted to pursue, hopefully make some friends, even if the community itself never felt like home. Um, so I think it was a mixture of naivete and, you know, trepidation. Um, but I don't know, we were like hopeful and it was romantic and we were going on an adventure. Um, and I think and every adventure has its ups and downs. And so there were ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. So you spent three years there. You build this uh -huh. cabin. You try to do some gardening. And um, I think my mom and you could uh, talk a lot about deer eating yeah. <laughs> everything out of her garden. Yeah, when, when, was... when, when, deer, when deer go from being something that's really cute that you take photos off to things that you're, you know, screaming at in your underwear at three in the morning. Yep. Yeah. Uh, where I grew up, there's a lot of um, kind of suburban deer now. And they just yeah. like, every morning they're laying out in the yard and the fawns are really cute and everything. But then my mom's complaining, mm -hmm. oh, they all my tulips, or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> when I grew up, we did have a garden with some corn and beans and other things. And it was always the raccoons. The raccoons would strip mm. everything like the night before we were going to go harvest. Yeah. Every <laughs> like they, they knew it was yeah. ready. Um, <laughs> but so you, you do um, gardening, you're living off grid with solar panels. Um, yeah. You know, there's kind of like a lot of kind of ecological aware, intentional awareness kind of, it seems, yeah. to what you were doing. Um, you eventually, you try uh, running a single screen cinema for a while. Yeah. Um, then um, the narrative kind of shifts to uh, your guys' um, uh, decision to have a child and kind mm -hmm. of the, the long and difficult process that was. And then you eventually do. Um, you, you have your daughter there. Um, so... I'm curious, like, kind of through that, um, what about this Western setting and this place were kind of, were you most excited about, like, making this, like, my home? And then especially, like, what what about the place were you looking forward to saying, like, this is where we're going to, like, build a family and we're, we're going to yeah. raise our daughter and have her become who she's going to become? Like, what about the setting held the most promise for for that? Yeah, I I think, like, going back to the question of this like coastal conception of of the west i i think it's hard not to see those mountains to be in a place like that and to be caught up in this idea of like you know freedom and the open space and homesteading and you know uh doing something on the fringes of you know like the the sort of like the american myth of the west and I, I definitely think there was a seed of that in our decision to to move out there because, you know, we could have bought something that was small and had a backyard to to do some gardening. Um, but there was something to the sort of the, the dust that we encountered when we out, when we were out there and the challenge of turning dust into something that we could we could live off of. Um, and people often ask, what is the thing that I miss most about there now that I'm back in, in a city? And I think it is that the, 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 the rhythm that, that you spoke to and the, the quiet and the space and this sense of like opportunity, um, where it's just like, it's you and the land and, you know, the community is 500 people, 20 minutes away. And so there, there was that aspect, uh, and I'll speak to that in a moment, but in terms of, most of my day-to-day -day was 
in sort of building out from from scratch and it really was just like dust you know there was some sagebrush but the 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 land as far as we know it had been used to raise bucking broncos <clears throat> so it's just like overgrazed uh and it really was just trying to turn dust into sort of like life like um and i i i think that's that sort of romantic idea that we moved to the west you know what we had in mind and this idea of starting a family there right like we had space uh and even though i am like a city boy and i've returned to to the city i could appreciate what it would be like to raise a child in a place like that where she had you know room to run and you know to explore and uh you know just within the first couple of years of my being there like i learned the names of the birds and i got into like birding before it was pandemic cool and uh the <laughs> names of like the local you know the flora and the fauna and just this way of seeing the land that is radically different than what you experience in the city and i, and I do miss that and that is one of those areas where i did find i was leaning on the community right because mm. the people who had lived there their entire lives whose families went back 150 years their experience of the land was so much deeper than you know than anything i could have hoped to have uh developed over those three years and they knew the names of birds and i remember my my neighbor who i called john in um uh jim in the book you know as we would be driving around somewhere he would just like stop because you know he was there were some like you know ducks that he was looking at or he thought that he could see some elks on the on the side of the mountain and things that i would just completely have missed they were always there for him um and so it was just this way of being that i just thought was just it, it felt like this is the way we're supposed to to mm. live right this is the rhythm and like there's a way that cities seem to just flatten space and time like you go from point a to point b and being in a place like that you could just wander and you know it, i think the the frank church wilderness is the largest space in the contiguous united states that's roadless yep. you know and it's just like that's it this is what you do um and so like it just felt like the place to 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 to, to put down roots to to start a family and uh and then obviously you know after three years we do make the decision to leave it's not because you had fallen out of love with the land no, and, and no. the trees I mean, there, and the there, birds and no you know, def, 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 definitely yeah. not there was the realization about how much harder and it really was like homesteading light like we didn't have any animals and uh, we did have I, I think at the most like 23 raised beds uh some of which were like five feet by 20 feet we were trying to raise everything that we could um but it really i mean like the most extreme weather i mean remember the first june that we were there i tried like i planted our squash and then the next day there were four there was four inches of snow and my neighbors <laughs> showed up and they like laughed that like you know we had a lot to learn you know but by the end we had sort of figured it out we had learned about you know uh hoops and we had a cold frame and there was that rhythm and like the the, the trial and error that that went into figuring out how to grow you know peppers and beans and like finally got our potatoes um, but it, there, there was that difficulty that um, I, I, I think it was that like the romantic image of homesteading within the realities of doing it in a place that just felt so inhospitable. And I got yeah. why so much of 
agriculture there was ranching where you would just put your cattle out to to graze in the in the mountains um and why so many people would have their small gardens but like that sort of um homesteading just wasn't the the norm you know the growing season was so short and extreme there's easier places to homestead exactly exactly um but then but then there was the um the 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 cultural gap which i think at the end of the day having our our daughter and i speak to this in the in the book my my wife is white american and so our daughter is biracial um and so by being there we had made the choice to uh, be okay with certain moments of alienation but by staying there we would be making that decision for our daughter and i felt like my parents made the decision to move from oklahoma to miami a place that was much more diverse a place where i never felt like i stood out because everybody's family had come from somewhere else and was varying shades of brown um and so i felt like it was the least that i could do for for my daughter and and i'm sure had we stayed there my daughter would have had a wonderful you know childhood um but it wasn't necessarily the the culture that you know I, that i wanted her to to grow up into and that's yeah. one of the things that I try to I, I try to address in the book. I feel like it's very easy as an outsider, as a city folk, to move into a place like that and to point fingers and to point out all the things that like this is what's wrong with this place. And I do find that did find that there were certain elements that I felt like I I had to critique. But at the end of the day, it just it wasn't my culture. And because it's not my culture, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the culture. And there were certain things about it that I loved. Um, but it just, I think, wasn't the culture that I wanted to raise, you know, my daughter in. I can, I can sense, you know, like in, in the book, I mean, there's like, you have, there's so many panels, you know, like you walking around in the woods. Yeah. Like, you know, looking at the birds, talking about the different phases of the moon, just like all of this kind of outdoorsy stuff that really seems to have struck. I mean, at one point, I think you said, um, something like, um, I'm, I've shed my city madness. Yeah. <laughs> um, like it was like being out there, like it was transforming you. You were. Oh, yeah. Like, and then it's regenerative and it's 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 all kinds of things, which would all be great for raising kids. Uh, oh, totally. But you, but you had some some cultural things and some other things to try to balance. And I can tell that. So I think in the book, like that tension and kind of the, the grief and the uh like the, you know, it wasn't easy decisions to make, you know, no, by, yeah, by it, leaving, it, you yeah. were g- gaining things for your daughter, but there was, you know, things that you were going to, you were going to miss. Um, for sure. Maybe this is like the, I mean, the, the kind of the topic, um, this paradox of kind of your sociality with rural Western neighbors on the one hand, so open, so kind, generous, warm, <laughs> helpful. Um, which I, I are all kind of, I think kind of like stereotypes of, you know, rural hospitality and, you know, um, uh, but simultaneously these moments of extreme close-mindedness, yeah. uh, prejudice, conspiratorial thinking, even, um, do you, what, what do you think about kind of like, let's talk about like the, the best then of, of these cultural things. Um, of kind of like the welcoming, warm, generous nature of rural uh, Western Americans as you as you met them. Was that something you were expecting? 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think you said it's like a, a stereotype. I mean, you see that in the movies, right? The welcoming, you know, that, that small town ethos. And I think from from the get-go, our, you know, our first interaction are our neighbors, Jim and Angie, coming on to our, you know, we're, we're just camping out on our property and they show up with, you know, wine glasses and wine and, um, and are just very, you know, welcoming you know they're welcoming us to the quote-unquote neighborhood even though we were like the only two people for with it you know a few square miles um you know but then immediately uh you know they ask like oh you know what well, we were debating where your name is from with which like in different contexts can be fine or you know in this context feels a little like well one they already know who you are which in small towns i immediately you know i, I quickly learned everybody who knows who you are there's only 500 people so any new faces are going to be of interest um you know, and then and then uh, so there's like that that hesitation, and I say, and she's like, oh, I you know I think it was like oh I thought it was like Lebanese, and he thought it was Iraqi, and I said, oh my parents are from Iran, and there and her response was like, oh that's okay, which I thought was like a very funny you know response, and then Jim launches into about how ISIS is here, and like ISIS ISIS, and he says yes that they have training camps here, so there's that some of that conspiratorial stuff, but um, I I feel like that encounter set me up for that push and pull and that um the 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 twin sides of uh the the sort of welcoming and then the 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 not welcoming and i think in most of in many of my encounters while i was there there was always that question of like how is this conversation going to turn and for the most part uh the conversations always turned out like great you know i mean it, uh, and i got that there was I, I feel like people are people and when you know people on a personal level, like people are, you know, they're kind and welcoming and and I got while being there though that it also is, there's a reason why small communities and places like that, I think like that's the, the, the culture, you're dependent on one another. You know, there were many occasions where I was stuck in the snow or like ran out of firewood or, you know, like, you know, they or other neighbors would just like check in on us. And then we would do the same where like they needed help and we were we were there, um, which I think just gave me a greater appreciation for where some of I, I you know, I'm like a, you know, typical like coastal, like liberal. Um, but like I sort of got that sort of libertarian Republican streak by being there where, you know, if your family has been there for 150 years, I can't imagine what it was like being a rancher in like 1860 in the middle of nowhere. I don't know, like, what does the federal government have to do with you? Like, you know, you, it's you and, you know, your own and your community and you're dependent on one another and you support one another and you don't have some of the sort of like the issues of homelessness and poverty that you get in cities. And so there's some of that, I think like cultural political disconnect where they don't then understand what's happening in, um, in urban areas and the problems that urban communities face. Um, but it did give me some some appreciation because I got like a glimpse behind um, political views that I don't usually, you know, agree with. I got to to see like the sort of the kind people that hold those views and then also some appreciation for where those views might come from, even if at the end of the day I didn't agree with because like a community like that is also dependent on federal and state funding because, yeah. you know, they can't, <laughs> you know, it's, they support themselves with without it. So there were those, I think it's, there's a, there's a complexity to it that I feel like I, I was able to, to understand and appreciate after, after three years. Do you feel like your neighbors were self-aware or um, self-aware of their this welcomeness? Is this something that was 
intentionally yeah, consciously I mean, thought about like no we take care of each other like is this totally, something that was on yeah, people's I, tongues I, I remember being in the car the summer when we were um just visiting the the airbnb hosts were driving us around to go shoot guns and i remember being in the car with them and they would wave to everybody who would drive by and i had never seen this being in a city if you tried to wave at everybody <laughs> right that would just be your hand would just be constantly up and they would think you're a weirdo but there i remember and like i remember um he was driving and he didn't wave and she was like wave you know and and it, and, and, and and like i got it where it was like it was like you're this thing that we are trying to keep up right like because if you don't do those things and like the threads of community right it's like it's important to 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 maintain those and and i got some of that while i was there where it was this like i think like conscious effort to maintain these this sense of community, these relationships, which is why I think like I didn't understand like growing up in, in Salt Lake City, there is the the Founders Day Parade. Growing up in Miami, we didn't have parades. San Francisco, I guess there's like the Pride Parade. Um, <laughs> but like there, those sorts of like community events where everybody shows up, like the barbecue and the rodeo. I, I like I got it because one, it's something to do, but it's also those are the the sort of the ties that bind. Um, and so I definitely do think that like they emphasized those events and they also prided themselves on this sort of welcomingness and this sense of community, even if when I mean, you say like a self-awareness, I think there was an awareness in that regard, but then there wasn't an awareness in ways, in things that they would do or say that might be alienating but this does give context, though, to their suspicion of outsiders, like because if these community relationships and, you know, connections are so important, outsiders coming in like it, it could could threaten that it could really disrupt yeah. this community that works in a certain way because of how they treat each other and help each other. And uh, yeah, and I mean, so like it's like kind of what you're talking about It's like it's empathy. You gained empathy for them. Like you may not agree oh, with all for of sure. their views. But you can start to see like, oh, I get why they're so suspicious of outsiders. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I hope that there was on the flip side, this empathy that maybe they developed where um, I know for many of them, I was probably the first Middle Eastern American that they had met. You know, a friend of mine was visiting from New York one time. He's Jewish. And somebody who I knew there who was in his 50s, he had said, oh, I've never met a Jewish person before. And um and so I know that for some people, they feel like, oh, well, like that's not like a burden I need to shoulder. That's not my responsibility. But there was this way that I thought that like that this cultural exchange that I thought was mm -hmm. was happening. And I do hope that, you know, I can be like a representative for like Middle Easterners, for those members of the community who, you know, whose first interaction with a Middle Eastern American was with with me um and i know that for some of them i had these conversations where people were like well surely like you're and your family they're the exception yeah. you know and talking about immigrants and it's like why are we the exception like why are like the those terrible things you're pointing out why are those the exception so i don't i don't know how much empathy or of a lasting impression i may have made but i hope so i mean because like they they definitely did leave an impression on me and so i'm hoping that there was that you know the that sort of exchange as well but i mean obviously uh if they were saying like oh but obviously you guys are the exception like 
like it demonstrates the power of actually just getting to know someone. And totally. You may have approached them with all kinds of um, preconceived notions about what rural Americans sure. would be like, and they probably dispelled some of those. And hopefully, like you're saying, the the inverse as well. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I'm always frustrated you know, on kind of contemporary political discourse that, uh, and I think this also applies to kind of this rural versus urban tension that we're often just arguing past each other. We talk past each oh, other. Oh, for sure. We don't, we don't ever actually engage. And if we actually would just sit down and engage... Oh, we find out we have a lot of sh- actually mostly shared. Like we're all humans. Like, yeah, we, we generally totally, want totally. Lo- the and, same and things. I, but yeah, and I and I think one of one of the interesting realizations while I was there, there like the the I remember the county commissioner or the city commissioner was a Democrat, and he was like the sort when you'd see him, he was like an older guy, had the suspenders, was a sort of like old school, you know, uh, Democrat. And he was the person who was elected at the local level. And the 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 county itself or the, the voting district had voted 90% Trump, which I thought was like that was just like so fascinating, which like at a, mm-hmm. at a local level, because like at the end of the day, we want to make sure like water's going where it needs to go. And like local stuff is, you know, things that need to be happening are happening. But it's the culture just wars when, don't like, play into that. Exactly. And so if this guy who's a Democrat is the one who's going to get stuff done, oh, then he'll we'll let him get exactly. stuff done. Exactly. And then yeah. they would start talking about the border and it's like the border's 1500 miles from you. Like, why is that a question? You know, like, why are you concerned about like, like, why is ISIS one of the first things you were bringing yeah. up or like bathroom bills when like these are not things, but it's just like these pernicious narratives that sort of seep into the, you know, the conversations and the culture. And it was difficult because on the one hand, I think that we make connections and like the, you know, strides when we're having those conversations with people who we have developed relationships with. But then I also did feel like there was only so far that those conversations could go because Emily, my wife, she was much more comfortable having political conversations where like I would sort of like, sort of like turn into myself and like, Mm -hmm. you know, go into my shell and I would just like nod my head as these conversations continued because, um, and as a white woman, she uh, she had some privilege, and totally could engage in those conversations from a very different place than than you could because of all these projections yeah. that were being placed upon you, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to be much and... more careful about what you say because, like you're sure. saying, like you're kind of a representative. Like I'm the first Middle Eastern American they've ever met. Yeah. So like, I'll, I don't want to feed into their worst suspicion. I mean. Much more fraught for you than Emily, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of head head nodding, and and it does feel better to be in in, in a city where like I'm not there, there isn't that constant negotiation. Um, but then I also do feel like there were like those moments of silence where, um, you know, somebody who I was sitting with, like a, a friend, would say something that is, uh, and in the book, I, I there's a scene where this happens, where they say like very racist things. And I don't know how to respond, and so I'm just silence. And the, but then, like, there's that recognition of the silence. And in the in the scene with with Jim, you know, after saying the N word and the F word with a with a friend of his that we're visiting, he's like, "Well, that's just what we call him here," as a, as if to excuse using that language. But there were a few occasions where this happened, where there was that sort of like that silence that then prompted them to, to to respond well like oh that probably sounded a little racist and i think in part it's because 
there isn't that pushback usually. Um, I and know. I think maybe in part that's why they felt comfortable saying those things in front of me where it's, I guess like I'm like one of the gang, even though like I don't look the same. Um, but then I also think it's, this is just the way that we talk. And there isn't that pushback because everybody agrees with us. Yeah. And I think that in the cities, we also take that for granted as well when we have conversations where everyone's going to agree with what we're saying. Um, and so... I I think that those silences that there there was this realization that like oh maybe maybe he doesn't speak about it in this way or maybe like this isn't going to be as well received as it would have been, um, and so I felt like those were like helpful you know right. pauses and, and 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 silences. These seem like these are the things that kind of just pile up that you know you write that eventually like the cabin did feel like home. Yeah, but you wrote um but I'm a visitor in this place. Yeah. Um, that's a hard tension to kind of then sit with uh, long, long term. Um, so you, you've since moved to Salt Lake City, um, which is its own very peculiar brand of West. Yeah. I'm curious, like, so now kind of living in and, and, and different, although I would be curious if now looking back on your San Francisco and LA experience, if you can see quote-unquote western things from san francisco that you hadn't recognized as western then um or are there things now in salt lake that you think you you view through a western lens differently than you would have if you had just moved from miami to la to san francisco to salt lake like does this idaho interlude has it changed how you view the urban west yeah, I um I mean there's definitely the like the sort of the, the the physical markers, right? The mountains that surround Salt Lake that remind me of the mountains and where we were in rural rural Idaho. And so it definitely does feel in that way like the West. Although now within the 3 years I was in Idaho, I became very outdoorsy and spent lots of time there and now I sort of appreciate the outdoors from my climate control department as I'm drawing. I just like look at the snow falling on the mountains. I don't feel the need to to go into them. Um, but I, I do feel like cities are cities. And, you know, I don't do the ambling. I don't do the the wandering. I drive, you know, in my, my, my plug-in electric car from, you know, my apartment to Whole Foods and, and back. Um, and so I feel like in some ways the experience of a city is is very similar. But then like looking back on my time in San Francisco, I mean, I feel like a lot of the 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 language, right? I mean, there is like the, you know, like the 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 Donner Pass and streets that are named after, like, you know, like the missions and like there is this um the 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 the, the myth of like the like the moving out west and that that I think pervades everywhere. Mm-hmm. in in the west whether it's the 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 cities or the rural areas um but i i i honestly though i think that it's it more than anything it feels like like a city and that also might be in some ways uh, a sigh of relief because as much as i enjoyed living in rural america there is this relief of being back in the city of like the familiar and even though salt lake city is not this booming metropolis it is growing and there are all of the hallmarks of of the city that I like I'm de- I depend on and I appreciate um you know being able to go to shows and having more than a couple of yeah. restaurants to go to and just like the things to um to do 
Have you noticed a difference in your interactions, though? It seems like even though you were out in a kind of a remote cabin, like you ha- you knew your neighbors and you knew yeah. people in the community. Have you, but w- when you live in a city, it's very easy. You can go years and years and years without really on a, yeah, on yeah. a deep interpersonal level actually interacting with anyone. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, I, and, I, and I remember being the, the one of the, the culture shocks of being in, in Mackie was this idea of visiting, which is a term now that I hear often, but at the time was new to me, like I'm going to visit. Um, and where you just like, you, you sort of slow down and like, I, I remember people would be like working on something like the well and somebody would show up and it would be a friend of the well guy and the well guy would take an hour break to just like chat to visit with his friend. Yeah. And, and like I would get annoyed, but then like I got it because that's just part of the culture. Like you're driving and you see somebody you know and you visit with them. We don't um, do that in the and, city. Like, no, in the city, it's like you want somebody, you want the plumber or the well guy, whoever to come in and like you nod at them and you grunt <laughs> and you exchange, you know, money and then they move on and you continue doing your thing. And like you want that anonymity, like, you know, um, and so I do, I do, I do miss that element of it. And and I think one of the things that I I realized in the book, and it's one of the things that ironically drove us out of, of Mackie and back into the city, um, was this pursuit of home. Um, and when we moved there, I, as I had said, I thought if worse comes to worse, we at least have like our, our tiny home and our six acres and that would act as a buffer. But I think now my conception of home is like these ever widening concentric circles where you have like your family and your home and your land and then like the community and like the people that exist in that community. And so moving to a new place like Salt Lake, I definitely have made an effort to get to know the people who run like the local businesses and like, because that is part of the community. And um, I still may not know on a personal level, the people who live in my apartment building, but I do know the people who run the coffee shop and you know i i recognize is this like in ways that you maybe wouldn't have yeah if you hadn't gone yeah. through idaho i yeah i, th- I think definitely because so it, it changed um, you yeah for sure for sure because yeah. I, I i think it just made me appreciate that element that of of of, of home because that is part of your cool. your home and so um there are you know there, i mean there are too many businesses around where we are to get to know everybody but i feel like i have definitely God and snow because I do still do I, I still do go on walks and you know I think that's every parent does that with their with their kid but I also as as a writer and a cartoonist walks are important to me and that is a habit that I developed while I was out there and even if I'm not like walking in nature I'm still walking the the you know around my community and in the streets and sidewalks and around the businesses so I think it's natural then to get to know the people who you're passing by and that's definitely not something I did in the the Bay Area or in Miami. I think that's maybe one of the best aspects of if we can stereotype rural America in various ways, like one of the best things about it. So that's great that you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That you kind of, you took that with you. Um, so if we have any, if there's, you know, listeners who are, you know, Westerners, be it rural or urban, and they, you know, either listen to this and, you know, hopefully go pick up your book, what, what would you hope that they learn or what kind of perspectives are you thinking would be important for them to gain? I think part of it is what you, what you had, mentioned earlier was like there are important conversations that need to happen and you can only have those conversations if you get to know somebody on a personal level 
And and I hope that there was a sort of cultural exchange, um, you know, having these complex political conversations because we li- live in like increasingly like a divisive time. And like you said, we're talking past one another. And there were those moments as much as I shied away from having those conversations that, you know, they were inevitable. And I think that it helped soften me to those conversations and to the people that hold views I don't agree with. Um, and I hope that it did it for them as well. And so I, I, I think the takeaway that I hope that people have is to to have those conversations, to to make friends with people who don't, you know, have the same background as you. And, you know, I did make many friendships while I was there. And um, we eventually sold our, our, our home last year. But on those trips that I'd make back, uh, I, I I have the friends who I would see, and even those friends who I I didn't see, and that they were friendships of circumstance. I lean on now when like things are just seeming increasingly crazy. I'm like, oh, they were like really nice people who probably believe those crazy things, mm-hmm. and they're not terrible people. And I hope that they don't think that people who held my beliefs are terrible people, because I things get re- I think things get really nasty when you, uh, when you just think that people are terrible. Well, maybe we need to get the government to fund some kind of <laughs> rural urban exchange program yeah. where families like swap houses, live for a yeah. year in each other's shoes. And, you know, if everyone in the country did that on like a five year rotating basis, you know, like yeah, I, exactly. I, it, it, I think our country would be much more functional. Right. Totally. And if, I, if at the least, it would, I think, make for good reality television. So oh, gosh. <laughs> um, well, one last thing. Interestingly. You have had a more stereotypical, like old West experience than most people who live in the American West. Even the people who really consider themselves Westerners, none of them have gone and tried to homestead in rural mountains of Idaho. Um, So my question, do you consider yourself a Westerner? Uh, That's, I, I feel like, the way I describe the book is as an insider's perspective written by an outsider. I definitely don't feel like I ever became like a real sort of Idahoian, you know? Um, I don't know if that's Did you a, get a cowboy boots? Term. I didn't get I didn't get cowboy boots, but my dad when he visited did get did get some cowboy boots and a cowboy and did hat. Did he pull that old cowboy um, hat out that he got in Oklahoma? He did. Maybe? He did. All yeah, right. the, the picture that the picture that's in the the book that I use a reference photo of him yeah. wearing that that cowboy hat. <laughs> um, you know, I just also don't feel like cowboy boots look look good on me. Yeah. Um, but I but I do feel like I got that sort of uh, sort of insider's perspective and this greater appreciation for what it means to be a Westerner, even if I don't know if I can fully, you know, uh, claim to to be that because I did I did in the end end up you know leaving that for for the city even though the city is still in the in the West but yeah. I think it's like an um, an ever evolving appreciation for for it. Well, do you want to tell us about what you're what you're working on now? How yeah, are you keeping yourself um, busy. Yeah, so uh, a little less cartooning and more comic. So I made the the jump from single panel New Yorker cartoons to an entire like 288 page comic book. Uh, and so I've given myself this year to just do more short form comics. And I've been doing a lot of this for the New Yorker and the LA Times. And those have been about 
more about like being an Iranian American and being a father. I think every person who has a child ends up like all of their stories end up revolving around like, you know, being a parent and their kid. And so I've been exploring some of that in 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 my comics. Um, and I'm working on, you know, book number two, a friend of mine joked that this book was called this country. That one should be called that country. And it's going to be exploring some more of, of, of that, of parenthood and being an Iranian American things that, um, develop directly from my experience of being in, in Idaho. But then I still occasionally get around to doing, you know, silly cartoons of animals in bed, uh, which, you know, <laughs> usually don't even go to the New York because I'll know that they'll reject it, but end up on my, my Instagram. Um, but definitely just sort of like exploring post post fatherhood, um, uh, comics right now. Yeah. Those th- themes. Well, sounds great. Um, thanks so much for spending, uh, some time with us. Congrats on the yeah. book. Congrats on like kind of, it's gotten quite a few kind of, you know, best book of the year list. Uh, yeah yeah it's been it's been, it's it's been, been great. nice yeah yeah thank you for having me yeah i really appreciate it and um you know maybe someday we'll cross paths in salt lake or uh yeah in idaho uh, idaho to rodeo i'll let you know we, if i head that. up there for one <laughs> yeah all right, all right thanks navi take care take care bye-bye thank you so much for listening i hope you'll subscribe and listen every month please leave us a review on whatever app or platform you're listening through or follow us on Facebook at Writing Westward Podcast or on Twitter at Writing West, where you can get updates and leave comments. Writing Westward is a production of the Charles Rudd Center for Western Studies at Brigham Young University. We're an interdisciplinary research center that supports academic research and the promotion of public understandings about the North American West. We host regular public lectures, which we live stream, have an annual funding cycle with award, grant, and fellowship categories that nearly anyone researching or working on the region from any disciplinary approach or towards any final product can apply. Learn more at redcenter.byu.edu. That's R-E-D-D, center. Our theme music was provided by local Utah composer Micah Dahl Anderson. Find him at Micah, D-A-H-L, Dahl, Anderson, with an O, dot com. I'll put a link in the episode description. My name is Brendan Rensink. I serve as the podcast host, producer, and just about everything else. So you can direct any praise or critique my way. I'm author and editor of a number of books on the West, borderlands, native peoples, genocide studies, religion, and the environment. Recently, my book, Native But Foreign, Indigenous Immigrants and Refugees in the North American Borderlands, published by Texas A&M University Press in 2018, won the Best Historical Nonfiction Book Award from the Western Writers of America. In an anthology I co-edited with P. Jane Hafen, entitled Essays on American Indian and Mormon History, published by the University of Utah Press in 2019, won the Metcalf Best Anthology Book Prize from the John Whitmer Historical Association. Here at the Red Center, I'm also general editor and project manager of a great digital history, uh, public history project named Intermountain Histories. It's a free mobile app and website, uh, intermountainhistories.org, that curates student-researched and written micro-histories of the region, complete with archival photos, bibliographies, and more. To contact me about the podcast, my own research, or anything else, head to bwrensink, that's R-E-N-S-I-N-K, dot org, or follow me on Twitter at Brendan W. Rensink. Until next month, be well, be curious, and be kind. Cheers.